Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Friday, June 19th, 2020, and best wishes to you and your loved ones as we celebrate Juneteenth. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show includes comments from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Catherine Barger, followed by an update on COVID-19 led by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and as a reminder, be sure to subscribe to our show and leave us a review in your podcast app. You can follow our department across all social media, including Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at LA Public Health. And now, Supervisor Barger. Thank you. Hello and good afternoon. Thank you for joining us for today's press briefing. I'm Supervisor Katherine Barger, Chair of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. Yesterday, LA County announced another step in our roadmap to recovery by reopening additional services and recreational activities, including nail salons, personal care, bars, casinos, and card rooms. These businesses can open today once they have the appropriate health protocols and distancing requirements in place. This week, we held our fourth Economic Resiliency Task Force meeting and heard from nonprofit, labor, religious, and arts organizations, and the healthcare and bioscience industry. We are also working with many other sectors to develop roadmaps for the safe reopening of their businesses and organizations including wedding and special events venues, competitive youth sports, family entertainment venues, amusement parks, and community festivals, and many, many more. The state has authority on when many of these sectors will be able to reopen. During this process, we are committed to representing our communities and businesses while keeping our residents safe. In addition, given the significant and lasting impact of COVID-19, has had on our businesses and our communities, the county is developing policies and strategies to help local businesses recover. The county has developed a brief survey for business owners to share their experience on how COVID-19 has impacted their operations. In the survey, businesses can provide input on resources and support they need that the county can use to help guide us on a regional recovery. Information gathered will also be used to inform county officials about business emergency services and our programs. You can find a link to the survey on my website at katherinebarger.lacounty.gov slash COVID-19 or the county's website at covid19.lacounty.gov. I would also like to share that the U.S. Small Business Administration announced their disaster recovery loans will be available to Los Angeles County businesses that suffered physical damage or economic injury due to the civil unrest incidents that began on May 26. Businesses and nonprofit organizations may borrow funds from the Small Business Administration to repair or to replace damaged or destroyed real estate, machinery equipment, inventory, and other assets. These low interest loans can help with the cost of improvements to protect, prevent, or minimize the same type of disaster damage from occurring in the future. For more information, please visit sba.gov. Finally, I would like to announce that we are moving to a new briefing schedule starting next week. I will join Public Health Director Dr. Barbara Ferrer every Monday at 1 p.m., along with other county experts, including Dr. Christina Galley and our Director of Health Services, as developments occur. My colleague, Supervisor Hilda Solis, will continue to host ethnic media briefings on Wednesdays. Overall, 
we aim, we aim to provide a more in-depth look at the trends that are emerging as we move through this pandemic on our path to recovery. The Department of Public Health will continue to provide a daily media release with updates and key data points, as well as insights to help keep our public informed. Public Health will schedule regular uh, topical updates for reporters to speak directly with Dr. Farrar and other department experts. Reporters will receive in-depth information on important subjects like access to healthcare, skilled nursing facilities, restaurant enforcement, face covering guidelines, and more. Thank you for your continued patience as we journey together in our efforts to address COVID-19 and to support our communities. As we commemorate meaningful milestones for our communities, I would like to acknowledge that today is Juneteenth. We continue to honor this meaningful day in our nation's history and look to our future as a county and as a nation with a commitment to unity and equality. And for our families across LA County, I hope you enjoy a happy Father's Day weekend. With that, I would like to invite Dr. Barbara Ferrer up. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thank you so much, Supervisor Barger, and to the entire Board of Supervisors. As a community, we've worked together to slow the spread of COVID-19, and it is in great part due to your leadership through this pandemic that we're now on our recovery journey. Uh, before I start with the updates, I want to echo Supervisor Barger in uh, honoring today as Juneteenth. Uh, and this is, in fact, the day we honor the strength and the resilience of all who fought for and continue to fight to end anti-black racism. This has been a year of devastation for many African Americans and also a year of resistance and strength in standing against racism and violence. I admire all the people across our county who are using their voices and their actions to continue to create a more just world. And to update you on our current status, I'm sad to report 38 additional people have died from COVID-19. 31 of the people who died are over the age of 65, and 26 people over the age of 65 who passed away had underlying health conditions. Seven people who died are between the ages of 41 and 65, and six people in this age group had underlying health conditions. Of the 38 newly reported deaths today, 18 were among people who are residing in our skilled nursing facilities. This does bring the total number of deaths to over 3,000, 3,063. And our deepest sympathies go out to the many people across our county who have lost a loved one or a friend to COVID-19. 93% of the people who have passed away from COVID-19 had underlying health conditions. And this number has stayed consistent throughout the pandemic. Today, we're also reporting 1,414 new cases. And this brings the total number of people who have tested positive for COVID-19 in LA County to 79,609. The 79,609 total cases we're reporting include 2,888 total cases reported by the City of Long Beach and 1,099 total cases reported by the city of Pasadena. Both cities have independent health departments. Uh, we're also reporting among the, the new, among the total cases, we have 548 confirmed cases among people experiencing homelessness. There are 222 people who were sheltered and were appropriately isolated and close contacts were quarantined. 
Um, there are currently 1,446 people with a confirmed case of COVID-19 who are hospitalized. 29% of the people are in the ICU, and 21% of these people are on ventilators. And these numbers have remained uh, fairly consistent. Uh, we've also investigated at this point a total of 657 uh, residential congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed or suspect case of COVID-19. Uh, currently, we have ongoing investigations at 522 sites, and we've closed investigations at 135 sites. Uh, the closed investigations uh, means that there are no current cases at these sites and that there have been no new cases at these sites for 14 days. These settings do include nursing homes, assisted living facilities, shelters, treatment centers, supportive living, correctional facilities, workplaces, food and retail, and educational settings. And the total number of confirmed cases in our institutional settings is 17,219. And this includes 10,973 residents and 6,246 staff. This remains 22% of all of our cases. And I'm sad to report that 1,618 people who were living in institutional settings have died from COVID-19. 1,437 of the people who lived in institutional settings and passed away resided in our skilled nursing facilities. And our hearts go out to the families and friends of the people who lived in these facilities and subsequently passed away from COVID-19. We are very sorry for your loss. We're also reporting 1,061 confirmed cases at some point in our jail facilities. There are 781 among people who are incarcerated, reported by the Sheriff's Department, and 280 staff. There are 178 cases in the state prison, 128 are among people who are incarcerated, and 50 are among staff. And there are 759 cases in the federal prison facilities, 744 among people who are incarcerated, and 15 among staff. And there are now an increase uh, up to 41 cases in our juvenile facilities, 21 among youth, and 20 among staff. You can find information on the confirmed cases at these facilities, as well as our dashboard, publichealth.lacounty.gov. Uh, the L.A. County Sheriff Department is reporting 358 positive cases among staff, 293 staff are quarantined, and 1,860 staff have returned to work. Uh, the L.A. County Fire Department is reporting that they've tested 634 staff members, 38 have tested positive, 13 are isolated at home, 33 have returned to work, and 5 are homesick. We thank uh, Sheriff Villanueva and Chief Osby for sharing these updates every day. As important as it is to mark the increase in cases, it's important to note uh, the total number of people that have been tested and our rate of positivity. Uh, over 890,000 COVID-19 test results for individuals have been reported to the LA County Department of Public Health, and 8% of people who were tested uh, were positive, and this rate has also remained constant over time. There are appointments that are available at the regional testing site, so if you are looking for a place to get tested, uh, please go to covid19.lacounty.gov slash testing. Um, you can uh, both find a location and make an appointment online. I do want to provide a couple of updates today. 
The first is an update on the race, ethnicity, and income level data we're collecting and looking closely at so that we can better understand how COVID-19 is disproportionately affecting some groups in our communities. For the 2,844 people that passed away where race and ethnicity data has been identified, 42% are Latino Latinx, 29% are white, 17% are Asian, 11% are African American, slightly less than 1% are Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with another race or ethnicity. We analyze these numbers as rates per 100,000 people to be able to make comparisons with other groups across the population. And while the number of deaths has decreased slightly uh, over time, uh, daily deaths has decreased slightly across all groups, there continues to be significant disproportionality. And I'll take the first slide. The death rate among Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders is 52 deaths per 100,000 people. And among African Americans, the death rate is 35 deaths uh, per 100,000 people. For people who identify as Latino, Latinx, the death rate has increased to 35 deaths per 100,000 people. And for people who are Asian, the rate of death is 24 deaths per 100,000 people. And for white residents, the death rate is 19 deaths per 100,000 people. When you look at this data by community poverty levels, we see that people who live in areas with high rates of poverty continue to have almost four times the rate of deaths for COVID-19 at 60 deaths per 100,000 people when compared to communities uh, that have very low poverty levels, where the death rate is 16 deaths per 100,000 people. These numbers require continued action. And as I noted last week, we deeply appreciate the recent board motion authored by Supervisor Solis and Kuehl that called for collaboration to address inequities due to the COVID-19 pandemic. In response, community-based partners have expressed great interest in supporting all activities related to COVID-19, including those related to testing, contact tracing, as well as in-language, culturally responsive education and outreach. Efforts are underway to get in place contracts that amplify our community partners' skill and knowledge of local needs, preferences, resources, and strengths. While we work through the administrative process that would compensate our partners for their time and expertise, we continue to carry out our key response activities, as I noted last week. I also want to take a moment to appreciate the board's leadership in identifying racism as a public health problem. As noted before, multi-sector collaboration is one tool that we have to identify and dismantle the oppressive systems and practices that disproportionately impact people of color and people who live in poverty. But multi-sector collaboration is not our only tool. Policy change is another powerful tool. Laws can extend access, resources, and power, which can lead to vibrant, well-resourced, and healthy communities for generations to come. On the heels of the Supreme Court decision to uphold DACA, I want to again extend my sincere appreciation to our Board of Supervisors for their support. Whether writing motions to make immigration a priority for our county, showing support for the California state actions against rescinding uh, DACA protections, banning LA County's travel to states that threatened legal action to permanently end DACA, or offering resources and supports for our wonderful immigrant communities. All these measures took leadership and they did make a difference. 
The fear and both acute and chronic stress caused by the uncertainty of continued DACA protections and other policies take a toll on the emotional, financial, and physical well-being of all individuals, families, and entire communities. These stressors over time can make us more vulnerable to diseases, including COVID-19. Uh, so let's give thanks to our leaders and never lose sight of the power of policy advocacy and organizing as we work together to close the gaps in COVID-19 health outcomes. I also want to share, uh, I also want to update you today on the indicators that are on our recovery dashboard. And I do encourage you to look at this dashboard on a regular basis. It's on our website and we update it every day. Uh, second slide. Uh, our first key indicator is deaths from COVID-19. It's essential for us to make sure we are tracking every single day uh, the number of lives that are unfortunately are lost because of the pandemic. As I've mentioned, when we try to establish a trend line, which is the line we have up there, it's a good idea to look at the daily seven-day averages over time. Using a seven-day average prevents some ups and downs from skewing the data, and it does give us a clearer picture of our trends. This first slide shows that the seven-day average of daily deaths since April 12th uh, has gone down. Uh, although our most recent daily averages are likely to be an undercount because of delays in reporting to the Department of Public Health, we do continue to see a decline in average daily deaths. Average daily deaths were at their highest in early May, where we were experiencing 45 to 46 deaths per day. A month later, in early June, the average daily deaths ranged between 20 and 30 each day. The next slide. Uh, this slide shows the average daily deaths by race and ethnicity. It's a busy slide, but it's an important slide. The good news is that deaths are decreasing across all racial and ethnic groups. However, as I mentioned earlier, while this shows the number of deaths, we know that the rates of deaths are disproportionately affecting African-American, Latinos, Latinx, and Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders. The next slide, please. Uh, this slide shows the average daily deaths by community income level. And again, we're seeing declines across all of our groups. But as with uh, the data on race and ethnicity, when we look at the rates per 100,000 people, uh, we again notice that the people living in the lowest resourced areas in our county do have a death rate that's significantly higher than the rate of death for people living in the highest resourced communities. Next slide. Uh, the average daily number of hospitalizations has been steadily decreasing, as you can see from this slide, and plateaued, uh, although for the last three days uh, we did see a slight increase. Uh, this may be in part due to the fact that all, all hospital patients uh, are now being tested uh, when they come into the hospital for COVID-19, even if they're hospitalized for an entirely different reason. So we'll need to watch this information carefully over the weeks ahead. Next slide, please. Uh, this is a slide that shows our capacity uh, in our intensive care units and our supply of ventilators. And as you can see, both of these remain stable and at an appropriate level for a county our size. Next slide, please. Uh, another issue around our capacity is making sure that our supply of personal protective equipment continues to meet the goals across the board. We have now have over 80% of our hospitals that have at least a 
day supply of N95 masks, other masks, eye protection, and face shields. Since last week, we did see a small decline in the supplies of other masks. Last week, 89% of hospitals had at least a 15-day supply, and this week the number dropped to 84%. 79% of our hospitals have a 15-day supply of gloves, and 65% of our hospitals have a 15-day supply of gowns. Ensuring that all of our healthcare workers have, an appro have appropriate personal protective equipment is essential to maintaining our capacity to slow the spread. And we continue to work to make sure that the supply chain issues uh, really uh, dissipate uh, since we have many months to go. Next slide, please. This slide shows the average daily reported number of diagnostic tests for COVID-19. Last week, we did show a decrease in the seven-day average of diagnostic tests. And this is probably reflective of having some of the testing sites closed a couple of weeks ago. <coughs> Sorry. But this week, that number is back up with the seven-day average of between 17,000 and 18,000 deaths per day. Next slide. <coughs> Sorry. Finally, we continue to meet our goal for the percentage of COVID-19 cases that have a follow-up investigation started within one day of receiving the information that allows us to contact a person. This number remains at 100%. Thank you. Sorry. As a reminder, the death and hospitalization numbers we're showing today represent the results of actions that we took about three to four weeks ago. Many businesses and spaces have reopened in the last month, so we'll be watching, watching all of these indicators carefully to see what impact reopening is having in our communities. It does remain important that we do everything we can to slow the spread of the virus. Uh, this prevents many more people from becoming seriously ill. Uh, I want to also note, as the supervisor did, that we did issue another modified health officer order that allows additional sectors to reopen. Uh, and the supervisor noted uh, the sectors that are reopening. Uh, as with all other reopened businesses, uh, before reopening, we ask that the new businesses uh, that are coming, uh, that, are, that are opening, implement the directives that are in our protocols. Uh, these protocols, as a reminder, they're not recommendations, uh, they're requirements. And we ask that you fully implement them before you open your doors to employees, customers, and, vi and visitors. And we give you an opportunity to share your plan with all of your employees uh, prior to reopening. Uh, the modified health officer order and the protocols are available on our website, publichealth.lacounty.gov. In closing, this week, Governor Newsom issued an order requiring Californians across the state to wear a cloth face covering in public spaces. Since May 13th, public health has been requiring that everyone wear a cloth face covering when in contact with others that are not in your household. I get a lot of questions about why this is important, especially from individuals who are not worried about becoming infected themselves. The important issue here is that we're not asking you to wear the face covering to protect yourself. We ask you to cover your mouth and nose to protect others, especially since you can be infected with COVID-19 and have no symptoms of illness. This is how you keep your respiratory droplets from reaching someone else. 
And even if you tested negative, that negative test result only tells you your status the day you were tested. You could easily become infected the very next day and unknowingly pass COVID-19 on to others. If you were already positive for COVID-19, you may think you're immune and you too don't have to worry or wear a cloth face covering. But it's not clear that you have immunity from the virus, which means you can become infected again and therefore pass along this virus to others. So we ask you to please continue to always wear a cloth face covering when you're around anyone else, even if this is just passing by another person. I wanna thank all of you who are making the actions that slow the spread of COVID-19 part of your day-to-day -day life and your day-to-day -day business operations. These are the actions that allowed us to enter into our recovery journey, and these will be the actions that will ensure we're successful in our recovery. And we'll now take questions. Ladies and gentlemen from the phone lines, if you wish to ask a question, you may please press one then zero on your telephone keypad. You may withdraw your question at any time by repeating the one zero command. If you're on a speakerphone, we ask that you please pick up the handset before pressing the numbers. Once again, if you have a question, you may press one, then zero at this time. We will start with the line of Rob Hayes with ABC7. Please go ahead. Hey, Rob. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, real quick question. Uh, the governor yesterday su suggested everyone wear a mask. We're moving ahead and opening uh, bars and nail salons and... Uh, places like that, what data are we relying on that says that this is safe to do? I mean, the most important data continues to be looking at our death data and our hospitalization data and our rate of positivity. And uh, as I just showed you, all of the indicators uh, really point to the fact that we are fairly stable and that we, in fact, continue to slow the spread of COVID-19. And uh, you're right to note uh, that as we reopen, uh, we need to be particularly careful to do everything we can, both individually and as businesses, uh, to make sure that our environments are as safe as possible. I think if we do that, we'll continue to have success on the reopenings. We'll take the next question. Thank you. Our next question is gonna come from the line of Dave Lopez with Channel 2 News. Please go ahead. Yes, uh, good afternoon. Uh, follow up a little bit on that. The, the mask has been such a controversy. I wonder if, if both of you can weigh in on, number one, if people continue to revolt, if you will, and not wear the mask, will that set us back? Why do you think there is such a, uh, a, a divide on that? And the way we're going, can we assume that nothing will stop us from continuing to opening more businesses or I, I asked another way, what will, what will it take for us to uh, take a backward step and begin closing some businesses that have been reopened? So I'll, I'll talk about the mask and then I'll let Dr. Farrar um, answer. But clearly the reason why we are here today um, and the test rates is still staying at 8% and hospitalization is remaining steady and, and we've been able to keep it under control is because people have complied with wearing masks. And I know it's not what everyone loves to do, but the reality is that is what is going to allow us to continue to have a safer, from, from safer at home to safer in the communities and safer at work. So while I appreciate people not being thrilled about it, um, the data shows that in fact that has helped us to keep um, the rate 
at the at the numbers that it is right now. But I'll let Dr. Ferrer talk about uh, it from from public health standpoint. Yeah, thank you so much. The supervisor is absolutely correct. Um, you know, it's um, the science tells us what we need to do, and there's not a lot we can do. So. You know, I ask you again, you're not wearing the mask because you're worried about your own risk. Because I know a lot of people say, like, I don't care, you know, it's, I'm fine, I'm a, not in a high-risk group, or, you know, I don't think this is real. That's not why you're, it's, it's not about you. It's about all the other people uh, that could be around you. So, you know, we just have to take care of each other. That, we're in the middle of a pandemic, nothing like we've ever experienced. Uh, and we have an opportunity to care for each other. And we do that by being extraordinarily respectful and putting on those masks. So, you know, thank you, Dave, for the question. And we're just going to need to continue to wear face coverings uh, for, for weeks to come. So, um, so I ask us all to, to do our part there because you get to do your part. That's the good side of this. You, you can do something to, to save lives. Um, everybody, you don't have to be a healthcare worker. You don't have to be the hero. You just have to wear your face covering, keep your distance, wash your hands. You know, stay home if you're sick. We, we all have things we can do uh, to slow the spread. And, and I know so many people are doing it, so, or we would not be where we are today. I think in terms of the second question is, like, what would it take to, to close things down? You know, uh, I, I hope we never get to the place where we're closing things down. I hope we all do continue to do the amazing work we've done to get us this far on the recovery journey. Um, so, you know, I'm hopeful. But everybody knows, you know, if we were to see huge spikes that resulted in the healthcare system being overwhelmed, we would be coming back to you asking you to help us take some additional steps. We cannot overwhelm, overwhelm the healthcare system. Cannot. It just doesn't only affect the COVID-19 patients that need care. It affects everyone who needs care. So we're not going to get to that place. Uh, we look at our data. We work closely with all our partners, business partners. We have a tremendous leadership from the board, and we're trying to make uh, deliberate decisions as we move forward. But they are driven by science and the data, and they will continue to pay a lot of attention to that. We'll take the next question. Next question will come from the line of Rosemary Kim with NBC America. Please go ahead. Hi, um, I have two questions for you, Dr. Ferrer. First, I wanted to ask about the use of masks in restaurants, um, can you please clarify if you know customers have to take the mask off to take a bite of food, put it back on to chew, et cetera, because people are confused about that. And then number two, um, is it included in the guidelines that bars and restaurants control the music level so that people aren't you know, leaning over to speak into each other's ears? Yeah, those are both excellent questions. and. So let me just clarify, uh, in restaurants or bars, if you're eating and or drinking, you do not have to wear your mask. Uh, and uh, we ask that you stay at a table. We ask that you stay seated because you don't have a mask on. If you're walking around the restaurant, you need to go to the bathroom. Uh, you're going to walk outside. You're walking to another table. It's appropriate for you to put your mask back on. But you're absolutely right. It's not, you know, take a bite, put your mask on while you chew. That, that's not what we've asked at all. That's one of the reasons why you'll notice the servers are being asked to have an extra layer of protection with those face shields because they will be coming over to a table where nobody is likely to have their masks on. And in terms of, of the second question, uh, which was about 
Oh, yeah, the music. We did hear this. I mean, we recommend, and I believe it's in the protocols, that you keep the music levels uh, low enough in a restaurant and or a bar so that servers are not leaning over at a table uh, to take an order or to answer a question. So it's a really good point. And we have recommended uh, that folks make sure the music level is not too high. So thanks for asking that. We have time for one more question. Okay, we'll go to the line of Karen O'Cam with L.A. Blade. Please go ahead. Thank you very much. Uh, this is for Supervisor Barger, please. Uh, thank you very much for working with Supervisor Sheila Kuehl in starting to collect LGBT data. Uh, the Williams Institute notes that there are roughly half a million LGBT adults in Los Angeles County. Uh, two questions. Uh, do you consider LGBT people to be a demographic like race? And will you start including that data in the publicly released data and slides as you do with race? And then what, we, what are you going to do with the information once it's collected? Thank you. Well, first of all, yeah, Supervisor Kuhl has been lead on this, and I, I completely support um, really uh, – looking at the, the numbers and allowing us to get a better feel in terms of the COVID crisis and what it's doing to the LGBTQ community. I'm also in support of um, Senator Weiner's bill that um, is moving forward as well. Um, as it relates to um, considered demographic, I mean, yeah, I think that, that in this county we recognize um, that we are moving in, a, in a, a, a way that we have to be more cognizant of all um, demographics. So obviously this board is committed across the board. And I don't know if you want to talk about that, Dr. Farrar, as it relates to the testing and all we're doing. Um, how will this be public? Um, I'm going to let Dr. Farrar talk about that as well, because again, Supervisor Kuehl, um, we've asked for the testing and a breakdown on the testing to be done for the LGBTQ community. Huh? And they are adding questions. So I'll let Dr. Ferrer um, give you a deep down dive on that because I really do not have all the answers on that. So go ahead. It's such important information. So I, I thank, I thank um, the caller for, for the question. Uh, and, uh, you know, I also want to thank the board for their leadership on this. The, the big issue has been uh, making sure we're collecting that information in lots of different ways and we're collecting it in ways that are appropriate uh, and feel um, uh, culturally acceptable to people so that they feel safe enough to answer. Um, so, you know, I, I do know across the board we are making efforts uh, to improve our data collection system so that we're actually able to more accurately ref reflect um, information about sexual orientation. Once we have better information, of course, uh, we agree with you. It's, uh, it's demographic information that we need to be able to share. We have other information that, again, shows elevated levels of risk for other diseases and also uh, for stigma, for being stigmatized and, uh, and discriminated against. So, you know, in this, in this uh, fight for equity, uh, we really do need to make sure that we have the kind of information that helps us better understand everyone's experiences and then use that information to make the changes we need. I know that Dr. Galley also can answer specifically about what we're doing to get better information around testing. Thank you. 
Hi, thanks for that question. It's an important one. Uh, we did add, and thank you to the city uh, for their partnership on this, but the questions on sexual orientation, gender identity were added to the community-based testing site portal. So now when you sign up for a slot on the website to be able to get a test at the county or city-operated drive-through sites, you will be uh, offered an opportunity to respond to the questions on sexual orientation, gender identity. And once we have at least a week's worth of data on that, we will add that data on a weekly basis to the testing dashboard that's posted on the county website. Thank you. And now we'll turn to remarks in Spanish. Buenas tardes. Hoy es el 16 de junio, un día que celebramos la libertad de las personas esclavizadas en este país. Este ha sido un año de tragedias para muchos afroamericanos y también un año de resistencia y fortaleza para luchar contra el racismo y la violencia. Admiramos a todas las personas en nuestro condado que están usando sus voces y acciones para continuar creando un mundo más justo. Para actualizarlos, eh, nos da tristeza informar que 38 personas adicionales han fallecido por causas de COVID-19. Esto eleva el número total a 3,063 fallecimientos. El 93% de las personas fallecidas por causa de COVID-19 padecían de condiciones delicadas de salud. Hoy estamos reportando 1,414 casos nuevos. Esto eleva el número total de personas que dieron positivo para COVID-19 en el condado a 79,609. Hoy estamos reportando 548 casos confirmados entre personas sin hogar. Actualmente hay 1,446 personas con casos confirmados de COVID-19 que están hospitalizadas. El 29% de estas personas están en unidades de cuidados intensivos y el 21% de estas personas están en ventiladores. Hemos investigado un total de 657 uh, casos en entornos de congregación residencial y no residencial, con al menos un caso confirmado de sospecha de ser COVID-19. El número total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 17,219 y esto incluye 10,973 residentes y 6,246 empleados. Esto es el 22% de todos los casos. Lamentamos también informar que 1,618 personas que vivían en entornos uh, institucionales han fallecido a causas de COVID-19. Un total de 1,437, eh, lo que es, representa 91% de las personas que vivían en entornos institucionales uh, que fallecieron, residían en centros de enfermería especializada. Estamos reportando 1,061 casos confirmados en algún momento en las instalaciones de la cárcel. Eh, 781 entre personas encarceladas reportadas por el Departamento del Aguacil y 280 empleados. Hay 178 casos en la prisión estatal y 759 casos en prisiones federales y 41 casos en las instalaciones juveniles. El Departamento del Aguacil también reporta que entre su personal, 358 casos positivos, hay 358 casos positivos, 293 empleados uh, en cuarentena y 1,860 empleados han regresado al trabajo. 
El Departamento de Bomberos informa que 634 miembros del personal han sido evaluados para COVID-19. 38 empleados han dado resultados positivos. 3 están aislados en casa. 33 han regresado a trabajar y 5 están enfermos en casa. Más de 89, perdón, más de 890 mil resultados de la prueba de COVID-19 han sido reportados al Departamento de Salud Pública del Condado de Los Ángeles y el 8% de las personas evaluadas han dado resultados positivos. Para las 2,844 personas fallecidas donde se identificó la raza etnicidad, el 42% son latinos, el 29% son blancos, el 17% son asiáticos, el 11% son afroamericanos, menos de un por ciento son nativos de Hawái o de las Islas del Pacífico y un por ciento se identifican con otra raza etnicidad. Analizamos estos números como tasas por cada 100,000 personas para hacer comparaciones con otros grupos uh, y comprender qué grupos se ven más afectados por COVID-19. Aunque el número de fallecimientos ha disminuido rápidamente eh, en todos los grupos, sigue habiendo una desigualdad muy alta. Uh, first slide, please. La tasa de mortalidad entre los nativos de Hawái y, y los isleños del Pacífico es de 52 muertes por 100,000 personas. Y entre los afroamericanos, la tasa de mortalidad es de 35 muertes por 100,000 personas. Para las personas que se identifican como latinas, la tasa de mortalidad ha aumentado a 35 muertes por cada 100,000. Para las personas asiáticas, la tasa de mortalidad es de 24 muertes por cada 100,000 personas. Y para los blancos, la tasa de mortalidad es de 19 muertes por cada 100,000 personas. Y cuando observamos estos datos por niveles de pobreza en la comunidad, vemos que las personas que viven en áreas con altas, altas tasas de pobreza continúan teniendo casi cuatro veces la tasa de fallecimientos por causas de COVID-19. 60 muerte, muertes por cada 100,000 personas. En comparación con las comunidades con niveles de pobreza más bajos, que tienen una tasa de mortalidad de 16 muertes por cada 100,000 personas. Estos números requieren una acción continua y, como señalamos la semana pasada, una moción reciente de la Junta uh, escrita por la supervisora Solís y Kewell, donde sol se solicitó colaboración para abordar las diferencias de clase debido a la pandemia COVID-19. En respuesta, nuestros compañeros en la comunidad han expresado un gran interés en apoyar actividades relacionadas con las pruebas de COVID-19, el seguimiento de contactos, así como la educación y publicidad culturalmente apropiada. Se están realizando esfuerzos para establecer contratos que desarrollen las habilidades y el conocimiento de los socios comunitarios uh, sobre las necesidades, uh, preferencias y recursos locales. Mientras trabajamos a través del proceso administrativo, eh, quedaría compensación a nuestros socios por su tiempo y su experiencia. Eh, continuamos llevando a cabo uh, la respuesta a COVID-19. También queremos tomar un momento para apreciar el liderazgo de la Junta en identificar el racismo como un problema de salud pública. 
como señalamos antes, la colaboración multisectoral es una herramienta que tenemos para identificar los sistemas y las prácticas opresivas que impactan eh, grandemente a los grupos diversos y a las personas que viven en niveles de pobreza. Pero la colaboración eh, no es la única herramienta. La política es otra herramienta poderosa. Las leyes pueden ampliar el acceso, los recursos y el poder, lo que puede llevar a realizar comunidades saludables y con suficientes recursos para futuras generaciones. Tras la decisión de la Corte Suprema de mantener DACA, queremos extender nuestro sincero agradecimiento a toda la Junta de Supervisores por su apoyo ya sea escribiendo mociones para hacer que la inmigración sea eh, una prioridad para nuestro condado, mostrando apoyo a la acción del Estado de California contra la cancelación de protecciones de DACA, a prohibir los viajes del condado de Los Ángeles a estados que amenazaron eh, con acciones legales para poner fin uh, en forma permanente a DACA, o ofrecer recursos y apoyos para comunidades inmigrantes. Eh, todas las medidas tomaron, eh, en todas las medidas tomaron liderazgo y marcaron la diferencia. También queremos actualizarlos hoy sobre los indicadores en nuestro tablero de recuperación. Esta está en nuestro sitio web y lo, actualiz lo actualizamos todos los días. Um, next slide, please. Nuestro primer indicador son los fallecimientos por causa de COVID-19. Como hemos mencionado, cuando observamos los datos a través del tiempo, es una buena idea observar los promedios diarios de siete días. El uso de un promedio de siete días evita que los altibajos diarios impacten los datos y muestra una imagen más clara um, de las tasas de muerte. Este gráfico muestra el promedio de siete días de muertes diarias desde el 12 de abril. Aunque nuestros promedios diarios más recientes son probablemente un conteo insuficiente debido a demoras en la presentación de informes al Departamento de Salud Pública, seguimos viendo una disminución en el promedio de muertes diarias. El promedio de muertes diarias fue más alto a principios de mayo, con 45 o 46 muertes por día. Un mes después, a principios de junio, el promedio de fallecimientos diarios es entre 20 y 30. Next slide. Esta gráfica muestra el promedio de muestras, de, perdón, de muertes diarias por raza etnicidad. Las muertes están disminuyendo en todas las razas etnicidades y esa es la buena noticia. Sin embargo, como mencionamos antes, que los afroamericanos, los latinos, los hawaianos nativos y los isleños del Pacífico están, uh, todavía están experimentando una tasa más alta de fallecimientos por causa de COVID-19. Next slide. Esta gráfica muestra el promedio de muertes diarias por nivel de, de ingresos de la comunidad. Y nuevamente estamos viendo disminuciones entre los grupos. Sin embargo, como mencionamos, uh, cuando observamos estos números por 100,000 personas, uh, las personas que viven en las áreas de recursos más bajos de nuestro condado tienen una tasa de mortalidad que es casi cuatro veces mayor que las personas que viven en las áreas de recursos más altos. Next slide. El número promedio diario de hospitalizaciones um, ha bajado constantemente y ahora se estabilizó, aunque hemos visto un ligero aumento en los últimos días. 
Esto puede deberse en parte a que todos los pacientes del hospital están siendo examinados para detectar COVID-19, incluso si han sido hospitalizados por otros motivos. Tendremos que ver esta información cuidadosamente en las próximas semanas. Next slide. Nuestra capacidad en unidades de cuidados intensivos y nuestro suministro de ventiladores se mantiene estable. Nuestro suministro de equipo de protección personal continúa cumpliendo los objetivos en todos los ámbitos, con más del 80% de los hospitales con un suministro de al menos de 15 días. Asegurar que todos los trabajadores de salud tengan el equipo de protección personal adecuado es esencial para mantener la capacidad en el condado de frenar la propagación de COVID-19. Next slide. Esta gráfica muestra el número promedio diario informado de pruebas de diagnóstico para COVID-19. La semana pasada vimos una disminución en el promedio de siete días de las pruebas, lo que probablemente refleja que algunos sitios de pruebas tuvieron que cerrar hace un par de semanas. Pero esta semana ese número vuelve a aumentar con un promedio de siete días entre 17,000 y 18,000 pruebas por día. Next slide. Finalmente, seguimos cumpliendo nuestra meta para el porcentaje de casos de COVID-19 que tienen una investigación de seguimiento iniciada dentro de un día de recibir la información. Este número permanece al 100%. Como recordatorio, los números de fallecimientos y hospitalizaciones representan los resultados de las secciones que tomamos hace aproximadamente un mes. Muchos negocios y espacios se han reabierto en el último mes, por lo que observaremos estos indicadores con mucho cuidado para ver qué impacto tiene la reapertura en nuestras comunidades. Es muy importante que hagamos todo lo posible para frenar la propagación del virus y evitar que, las la, que más personas se enfermen gravemente. Y la responsabilidad de esto cae en todos nosotros, tanto individuos como negocios. Ayer emitimos otra orden del oficial de salud modificada que permite la reapertura de sectores adicionales tan pronto implementen los protocolos requeridos para el control de infecciones. Estos negocios y espacios incluyen salas de juego, instalaciones de apuestas satelitales, establecimientos de cuidado personal, incluidos salones de uñas, um, salones de bronceado, salones de estética y negocios de terapia de masajes y bares. Antes de re reabrir, estos negocios deben seguir los protocolos. Estos protocolos no son recomendados, son requisitos. Solicitamos que los negocios tomen tiempo para asegurar completamente las reglas antes de abrir sus puertas a sus empleados y clientes y que proporcionen una copia de su plan de ejecución a sus empleados. La orden y los protocolos de la orden están uh, disponibles en el sitio web en publichealth.lacounty.gov. Esta semana, el gobernador Newsom emitió una orden que requiere que los californianos usen una cubierta de tela uh, una cubierta de tela para la cara en los espacios públicos. Desde el 13 de mayo, Salud Pública ha estado exigiendo que todos usen una cubierta de tela para la cara cuando estén en contacto con otros que no sean de su hogar. Hoy, muchas, uh, hay muchas 
preguntas sobre por qué es tan importante um, especialmente por parte de personas que no están preocupadas por infectarse. La cuestión importante aquí es que no le estamos pidiendo que use la máscara para protegerse. En realidad no se trata de usted. Le, pudimos, le pedimos que se cubra la boca y la nariz para proteger a los demás, especialmente porque puede estar infectado con COVID-19 y no tener síntomas de enfermedad. Así es como evitar um, que sus gotas respiratorias lleguen a, lleguen a otra persona. E incluso si su prueba fue negativa, esa prueba negativa solo fue eh, un informe en un, en un punto del, del tiempo. Podría infectarse al día siguiente y sin saberlo transmitir COVID-19 a otros. Si era positivo para COVID-19, aún no está claro que tenga inmunidad contra el virus, lo que significa que podría infectarse nuevamente y por lo tanto transmitir el virus a otras personas. Por lo tanto, continúe usando siempre su cubierta de tela para la cara cuando esté cerca de otras personas, incluso si, si solo está pasando a, 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 con otras personas. Uh, el 10 de abril, el oficial del Condado de Salud exigió a los empleados y a los clientes de negocios esenciales que usaran cubiertas de tela para la cara. Queremos agradecerle a todos ustedes que están realizando las acciones que retrasan la propagación de COVID-19 como parte de su vida diaria y sus operaciones comerciales, comerciales diarias. Estas son las acciones que nos han permitido entrar a nuestro viaje de recuperación y serán estas acciones las que garantizan que tengamos éxito en, en los próximos días. Gracias. And so now we'll move on to Armenian, remarks in Armenian by Nona Aguanisian. Barrior Bolorin. Snorakalen vera haskich marmenerin ye vocht horortin. Nerka iravichaki vera berial te recutsunere hetevialnen. I sort savov heitnumen kevas yerasun ut mahvan masin. I smart kansit yerasun meka, batsun hink tarekanits bartsrem voronsits ksan vetsu unatsilen urektor arochakan hantirner. Yot anzit tarika karasun mekits batsun hingne. Եվ <San> Այսօր մենք հայտնում ենք 1414 նոր դեպքերի մասին։ Սա վերում է Լոս Անջելոս շրջանի դրական դեպքերի թիվը 779609-ի։ Այս դեպքերը ներառում են Լոնգ Բիչ քաղաքում մեր գործընկերների կողմից գրանցված 2888 դեպքեր, իսկ Փասդենա քաղաքի կողմից գրանցված 1099 դեպքեր, որոնք ունեն անկախ առողջապահական բաժանմունքներ։ Մենք հայտնում ենք 548 հաստատված դեպքեր անոթևան ապրող մարդկան շրջանում։ Ապաստան գտած 222 անձինք պատշաճ կերպով մեկուսացված են, իսկ սերտ կապերը կարանտինացված են։ Ներկայումս հոսպիտալացվել են 1446 
ներկայումս քննություններ են կատարվում 657 ինստիտուցիոնալ բնակչության վայրերում դրանց թվում են ծերանոցներ ապաստաններ բուժման կենտրոններ օժանդակվող բնակելի հաստատություններ եւ քրեակատարողական հիմնարկներ Մենք զեկուցում ենք, որ հաստատված 1061 դեպքեր արձանագրվել են քրեակատարողական հիմնարկներում 781 դատապարտյալ եւ 280 աշխատակազմ։ 178 դեպք նահանգային բանտերում, 128 բանտարկյալ եւ 50 աշխատակազմ։ 759 դեպք ֆեդերալ բանտերում, 744 բանտարկյալ եւ 15 աշխատակազմ։ 41 դեպք անչափազների հաստատություններում։ Մեկ տեղադրում ենք հաստատված դեպքերի եւ մահվան թիվը մեր կայքում աշխատողներին, բնակիչներին եւ ընտանիքներին տեղեկացնելուց հետո։ Եվ Լոս Անջելոս շրջանի արցանագրված բոլոր նոր դեպքերի զեկույցը կարող է տեսնել առողջապահության վարչության կայքում publichealth.lacani.gov Լոս Անջելոս շրջանի շերիֆի վարչությունը զեկուցում է 358 դրական դեպք անձնակազմի մեջ, 293-ը կարանտինի մեջ են, 1860-ը վերադարձել են աշխատանքի։ Լոս Անջելոս շրջանի հրշեջ վարչությունը հայտնում է 38 դրական դեպք աշխատա անձնակազմի մեջ, 13-ը մեկուսացված են տանը, 5-ը հիվանդ են տանը եւ 33-ը վերադարձել են աշխատանքի։ Ավելի քան 890000 մարդ տեսավորվել է եւ արցունքները զեկուցվել են Լոս Անջելոսի շրջան, որից 8% դրական են։ Ես ուզում եմ քաջալերել ձեզ տեսավորվել, եթե ունեք ախտանիշներ։ Տարածաշրջանային տեսավորման վայրերում ժամադրության համար կարող եք այցելել covid19.lacounty.gov/testing Էթնիկ պատկանելության եւ եկամուտի մակարդակի տվյալները 2844 մարդկանց համար, ովքեր մահացել են էթնիկական պատկանելությունը հետեւյալն է։ 42% եղել են լատինո լատինեքս, 29%-ը սպիտակ, 17%-ը ասիական, 11%-ը աֆրոամերիկացիներ, 1%-ը բնիկ հավայան կամ խաղաղ օվկիանոսի շրջանից 1%-ը մեկ այլ ռասա էթնիկ խումբ որբիսի ավելի լավ հասկանանք թե ինչ է նշանակում այս թվերը մենք վեր լուծել ենք դրան որպես յուրաքանչյուր 100000 մարդու թվի մահացության մակարդակը բնիկ հավայացիների եւ խաղաղ օվկիանոսային շրջանում 52-ն է ամեն 100000-ին աֆրիկոամերիկացիների մահվան մակարդակը 35-ն է ամեն 100000-ին լատինո լատինեքս 35-ն է ամեն 100000-ին սպիտակամորթերի համար մահվան մակարդակը 19-ն է ամեն 100000-ին եւ երբ նայում ենք այս տվյալները համայնքային աղքատության մակարդակով մենք տեսնում ենք որ մարդիկ ովքեր ապրում են աղքատության բարձր մակարդակ ունեցող տարածքներում մահացության դեպքերը գրեթե 4 անգամ գերազանցում են covid-19-ը այդ թիվն է 60-ը ամեն 100000-ին համատած ցածր աղքատության մակարդակ ունեցող տարածքներում երբ այս մահացության մակարդակի թիվն է 16-ը ամեն 100000-ին տվյալները խորապես անհանգստացնող են եւ դա պահանջում է համագործակցություն աշխատանք մեր գործընկերների հետ այդ անհավասարությունը լուծելու համար
Մենք պետք է նայենք մեր հասարակության կառույցներին, համակարգերին եւ պրակտիկային հասկանալու համար անհավասարությունները, ինստիտուցիոնալ ռասիզմի երկար պատմություններ, որոնք հանգեցրել են ավելի քիչ ռեսուրսների եւ հնարավորությունների, որոնք կապված են օպտիմալ առողջության հետ։ Շնորհակալ եմ բոլորին, ովքեր առաջնագծում կանգնած են վերջտալ ռասիզմի եւ ճնշումներին։ Երեք մենք թողարկեցինք մեկ այլ փոփոխված առողջապահության համակարգ, համակարգ, որը թույլ է տալիս այլ ոլորտները վերաբացվեն հենց այսօր, կատարեն, եթե կատարեն վարակի վերահսկման եւ հերավորության համար անհրաժեշտ արդյունագրությունները։ Այս բիզնեսներն ու տարածքները ներառում են խաղասենյակներ, արբանյակային խաղադրույքների հաստատություններ, անհատական խնամքի հաստատություններ, ներառյալ եղունների սրահներ, էստետիկայի ոլորտի սրահներ, մարմնի արվեստի մասնագետներ եւ մրսման թերապիայի ձեռնարկություններ եւ ոչ առողջապահական հիմնարկ հիմնարկներ։ Բարեր, գինեգործության եւ գարեջրատների համտեսման սենյակներ։ Մենք խնդրում ենք, որ ձեռնարկությունները ժամանակ ունենան լիարժեք կատարելու հրահանգները, նախքան նրանք կբացվեն իրենց դռները, աշխատակիցների, հաճախորդների եւ այցելուների համար։ Եվ իրանց կատարման ծրագրի պատճեն տրամադրեն իրենց աշխատողներին։ Փոփոխված առողջապահության աշխատողների կարգադրությունն ու արձանագրությունները հասանելի են մեր կայքում publichealth.lacani.gov Վերջում այս շափատ նահանգապետ նյուսմը հրաման արձակեց որ կալիֆորնիացիները պահանջվում է դեմքի ծածկոց գրել հասարակական տարածքներում Մայսի 13-ից հանրային առողջության պահանջում է որ բոլորը հակնեն կտորե դիմակ ոչ ընտանիքի անդամների հետ շփվելուց Բազմաթիվ հարցեր են առաջանում թե ինչը դա ինչ է դա կարևոր հատկապես այն անհատների կողմից ովքեր չեն անհանգստանում վարակվելուց այստեղ կարևոր խնդիրը այն է որ մենք չենք խնդրում որ ձեզ պաշտպանեք դա իրականում ձեր մասին չէ մենք խնդրում ենք ձեզ ծածկել ձեր բերանը եւ քիթը ուրիշներին պաշտպանելու համար մանավանդ որ դուք կարող եք վարակված լինել կովիդ 19-ով եւ ճունենակ հիվանդության ախտանիշներ Եվ դիմակը պահպանում է ձեր շնչարական կաթիլները մեկ ուրիշին անցնելուց։ Եվ նույնիսկ եթե դուք բացասաբար եք փորձարկվել այս բազմա այս բացասական թեստը միայն ձեզ ասում է կարգավիճակը ստուգվելու օրը։ Դուք կարող եք վարակվել հենց հաջորդ օրը եւ անգիտակցաբար փոխանցել COVID-19-ը ուրիշներին։ Եթե դուք արդեն դրական եք COVID-19-ին Ապա դերպաշ չէ, որ վիրուսից իմունիտետ ունեք, ինչը նշանակում է, որ դուք կարող եք նորից վարակվել, հետևաբար վիրուսը կփոխանցեք ուրիշներին։ Ուստի խնդրում ենք շարունակեք միշտ հակնել կտորե դիմակ։ Ցանկանում եմ շնորհակալություն հայտնել բոլոր ձեզ, ովքեր կատարում են այս գործողությունները, որոնք դանդաղեցնում են COVID-19-ի տարածումը։ Սրանք այն գործողություններն են, ինչը թույլ է տվել մեզ մտնել մեր վերակ վերականգնման ճանապարը եւ հենց այս գործողություններն են որ ապահովում են հաջողություն մեր վերականգնման գործում շնորհակալություն thank you now remarks in korean
안녕하십니까. 로스앤젤레스 카운티 보건 당국이 발표한 데일리 리포트를 말씀드리겠습니다. 이감스럽게도 코로나 바이러스로 인해 추가로 38명의 사망자가 보고되었음을 알립니다. 이중 31명은 65세 이상이고 그중 26명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 이중 7명은 41에서 65세 사이이고 그중 6명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 새로운 사망자 38명 중 18명, 즉 47%는 전문 간호시설에 살고 있었습니다. 이로써 로스앤젤레스 카운티에서의 총 사망자 수는 3,063명입니다. 코로나 바이러스로 사망하신 분들 중에 93%가 이미 질환을 가지고 있었으며 이 수치는 계속 유지되고 있습니다. 오늘로써 1,484건의 새로운 확진 케이스가 보고되었습니다. 이로써 로스앤젤레스 카운티에서의 총 확진 케이스 수는 7만 9,609건입니다. 이 수는 롱비치시에서의 2,888건, 파사디나시에서 1,099건이 있었으며 이두 시는 각 보건구가 따로 있음을 알려드립니다. 노숙자들 중에서의 확진 케이스 수는 548건입니다. 이들 중 222명은 보소에서 고립되어 있고 밀접 접촉자는 격리되어 있습니다. 현재 1,446명이 양성 확진자로 병원에 입원해 있으며 이중 29%는 중환자실에 21%는 인공호흡기에 의존해 있습니다. 하나 이상의 확진 케이스가 나온 총 657개의 거주시설과 비거주시설을 조사하였으며 이중 522개는 현재 조사 중이고 135개는 조사를 마쳤습니다. 조사를 마쳤다는 뜻은 지난 14일간 새로운 확진 케이스가 없었다는 뜻입니다. 이 시설들은 양로원, 전문 간호시설, 보호소, 치료소, 서폴 리빙, 교도소, 직장, 음식점, 상점, 교육기관을 포함합니다. 시설에서의 총 확진 케이스는 17,219건이고 이중 1,973명은 거주자이며 6,246명은 일하는 사람들입니다. 시설에 사는 사망자들 중 시설에 사는 사람들 중 사망자 수는 1,618명이고 이중 1,437명 즉 91%는 전문 간호 시설에 살고 있었습니다. 교도 시설에서 총 1,061건의 확진 케이스가 있었으며 이중 781명은 수감자이고 280명은 일하는 사람들입니다. 주 정부 교도소에서는 178건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 이중 128명은 수감자이고 50명은 일하는 사람입니다. 연방교도소에서는 759건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 이중 744명은 수감자이며 15명은 일하는 사람입니다. 소년원에는 41건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 이중 21명은 수감자이며 20명은 일하는 사람입니다. 보안관국에서는 3 5 0 8건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 293명의 직원이 격리되었으며 1,860명이 복귀하였습니다. 소방국에서는 634명이 테스트를 받았으며 이중 38건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 13명은 회복하였으며 33명은 다시 복귀하였고 5명은 집에서 회복 중입니다. 지금까지 LA 보건구로 89만 건 이상의 코로나 바이러스 테스트를 받은 것으로 보고되었고 이 중에 8%는 양성 결과였습니다. 테스트 결과와 예약은 온라인으로 covid19.lacounty.gov.testing에서 알아보실 수 있습니다. 
인종과 민족성이 알려진 2,844명의 사망자 중에 42%는 라틴계, 29%는 백인, 17%는 동양인, 11%는 흑인, 1% 미만은 하와이 태평양섬 원주민, 1%는 기타 인종이었습니다. 모든 인종 그룹의 사망자 수는 줄어들었지만 여전히 그 비율이 균등하지는 않습니다. 하와이 태평양 섬의 원주민 사망률은 10만 명당 52명, 흑인 사망률은 10만 명당 35명입니다. 라틴계는 10만 명당 35명, 동양인은 10만 명당 24명, 백인은 10만 명당 19명입니다. 이 데이터를 지역 빈곤 수준과 비교해 보았을 때 높은 빈곤층에 사는 사람이 10만 명당 60명, 낮은 빈곤층에 사는 사람들이 10만 명당 16명, 그러므로 코로나 바이러스로 인한 사망률이 4배 더 높았습니다. 이 수치는 우리가 계속 행동을 할 것을 요구하고 있습니다. 많은 커뮤니티 파트너들이 코로나 테스트와 접촉 추적, 또 해당 언어와 문화로 마련되는 교육과 아웃리치를 돕기를 원한다는 뜻을 밝혀왔습니다. 커뮤니티 파트너들의 전문성과 지역 필요에 대한 지식, 또 리소스 등을 사용하도록 노력하고 있습니다. 다카를 유지하는 것과 관련된 대법원의 결정과 관련하여 슈퍼바이저 보드들의 모든 노력에 감사드립니다. 우리 카운티를 위해 이민 정책 모션을 썼으며 다카 보호 마련 폐지에 반대하는 캘리포니아 주 정부를 지지하고 또 이민 사회를 위한 리소스와 자원을 마련하였습니다. 다카 보호안 유지의 불확실성과 다른 정책들로 인한 두려움 그리고 급성 만성 스트레스는 우리 개개인과 가족 그리고 모든 커뮤니티에 정신적 감정적 금전적 또 신체적 건강에 영향을 미칩니다. 이러한 스트레스는 시간이 지나면서 코로나 바이러스를 포함한 많은 질병에 우리가 더 취약해지도록 만들 수 있습니다. 어제 완화된 보건 담당자 명령이 발표되었는데 거리 두기와 감염 관리 프로토콜을 시행한 다음 어, 이르면 오늘부터 더 많은 사업체들이 다시 영업을 재개할 수 있습니다. 다시 재개하는 어, 사업체와 장소들은 이러합니다. 카드게임장, 위성, 베팅시설, 네일샵, 태닝살론, 바디아트 전문가, 비의료용 마사지 테라피, 음식을 팔지 않는 바, 와이너리, 맥주 양조장, 시음장 등이 있습니다. 이 사업체들은 영업을 재개하기 전에 프로토콜의 지침을 꼭 실행해야 합니다. 프로토콜은 권장사항이 아니라 필수 조건입니다. 이 사업체들은 직원과 손님 방문객들에게 문을 열기 전에 시행해야 할 사본을 직원에게 주어야 하고 지침을 따르기 위해서 온전히 시간을 내어야 할 것입니다. 완화된 보건 감당자 명령과 프로토콜은 웹사이트 publichealth.lacounty.gov에서 볼수 있습니다. 마지막으로 이번 주에 거버넌 뉴스톰이 모든 캘리포니아 주민들이 공공장소에서 천안명 가리개를 사용하도록 명령하였습니다. 5월 13일부터 보건국은 가족이 아닌 사람과 접촉할 때천 안면 가리개를 사용하도록 요구해 왔습니다. 자신의 감염된 것에 대해서 걱정하지 않는 몇 개개인들이 왜 이것이 중요한지에 대해서 질문을 하는 것을 보게 됩니다. 여기서 중요한 것은 자신을 보호하기 위해서 안면 가리개를 사용하는 것이 아닙니다. 바로 다른 사람들을 보호하기 위해서 자신의 입과 코를 가리라는 것입니다. 
특히 코비드19 감염자가 증상이 없을 수가 있기 때문에 자신의 호흡기를 통한 비말이 다른 사람에게 정해지는 것을 막아야 할 것입니다. 음성 진단을 받았다 하더라도 그 결과는 테스트를 받은 날의 상태임을 알수 있습니다. 그 다음 날 감염이 될 수도 있고 또그 사실을 모르고 다른 사람들에게 감염 COVID-19을 전달할 수도 있습니다. 만약 이미 양성 확증을 받았다면 바이러스의 면역체가 있는지 확실하지 않습니다. 이 말은 다시 바이러스에 걸릴 수도 있고 다른 사람에게 전달할 수도 있다는 뜻입니다. 그러므로 우리가 다른 사람 곁에 있을 때 심지어 잠시 스쳐 지나가는 것이라도 안면 가리개를 꼭 써야 합니다. 사업체 영역과 일상생활에서 매일 코로나 바이러스의 확산을 늦추기 위해서 노력하시는 여러분의 노력에 감사드립니다. 이러한 모든 행동이 우리가 회복 단계에 들어설 수 있도록 해주었고 앞으로의 회복 단계에서도 성공할 수 있도록 해줄 것입니다. 감사합니다. Next, Alan Chang from Environmental Health will brief in Mandarin. Thank you. 各位下午好，感谢巴结委员和全体督查委员。作为一个整体，洛杉矶县能团结一致，减缓新冠病毒的传播，离不开督查委员会的领导。在我开始为大家更新前，我要提醒大家的是，今天是美国的六月十九号
并做到了相应的隔离或与其他人亲密接触的防护措施。住院人数，现因新冠病毒患者住院的有一千四百四十六人，其中百分之二十九的人数住在加护病房。而加护病房中有百分之二十一的病人使用呼吸机。我再来介绍一下公共机构方面的状况。我们对六百五十七个大型住宅和非住宅机构进行了调查，这些机构中至少有一个已知新冠病毒患者，其中五百二十二人仍在调查，五百二十二个机构仍在调查中，一百三十五个已经结束调查。这些机构包括疗养院、辅助居住所、避难所、治疗中心、居住住疗居住中心、管教所、工作场所、餐饮和零售地及教育中心。所有这些机构确诊病例的总数为一万七千两百一十九人，其中居民为一万零九百七十三人，工作人员为六千零二两百四十六人。这占总病例的百分之二十二。我们非常沉痛，因新冠病毒去世的人中有一千一百八十人来自机构住所，而这一千六百一十八人中有一千四百三十七人则来自于熟练的护理中心。我们为这些机构内所是。去世的家庭和朋友送去我们的哀悼，寄托我们的哀思。下面是监禁场所的更新。监狱中有一千零六十一人的新冠病患例，其中七百八十一人为囚犯，两百八十人为管教人员。这其中，周监狱里有一百七十八例，而一。一百二十八人为囚犯，五十人为管教人员。联邦监狱有总共有七百五十九人，其中七百四十四人为囚犯，十五人为管教人员。少年管教所有十四十四十一人，其中二十一人为囚犯，二十人为管教人员。大家可以在我们县公共卫生网页里，各个康复专栏都有这方面资料的更新。如确诊人数、疑似病例、测试及死亡人数，我们来特别的关注一下警局或消防局的员工资料。洛杉矶警局员工有三百五十八人呈阳性，三百九十三人正在被检疫，一千八百六十人已康复恢复工作。洛杉矶县消防局有六百三十四人做了新冠病毒检测，其中三十八人呈阳性，十三人在家隔离，三十三人已康复工作，五人则因其他疾病在家。在这里非常感谢县警长维拉罗瓦和消防局主管欧斯比。我们来再更新一下测试方面的资料。洛杉矶公共卫生局。总共收集了八八十九万新冠病例检测结果，其中百分之八的检测结果呈阳性。大家可以通过以下网站和和附近的检测站预约检查预约检测时间
检测网站为 covid 十九点 la county 点 gov 斜线 testing。我们来重新看一下种族、族裔和收入相关资料的更新。我们将更新一些新冠病毒与种族、族裔或收入方面的资料，通过细致分析，试图理解新冠病毒对各族裔的不同影响，如对一种族裔的影响大于对另外一种族裔的影响。在因新冠病毒去世的两千八百四十四个族裔的人中，人种族裔所占的比例如下：拉丁裔占百分之四十二，白人占百分之二十九，亚裔占百分之十七，非裔占百分之十一。夏威夷和太平洋各群岛屿的原住民占的比例不足百分之一，还有百分之一属于其他族裔。我们不同族我不同族裔十万人中相对应的数字，如果拿来比较，我们可以更好的进行跨跨族裔比较，比如结果就能揭示为什么不同族裔的比例有有何不同。尽管各族裔之间的比例差距是有所下降，但我们仍然可以看出来他们之间明显的差距。夏威夷和太平洋群岛的死亡率为每十万人五十二人，而非裔为每十万人三十五人；拉丁裔的比例是每十万人三十五人，亚裔为为每十万人二十四人，白人的比例则为每十万人十九人。如果从贫富角度来看，较贫困地的比例是每十万人六十人，而较富裕地区的人比例为每十万十六人。这些数据我们可以看出来，我们还需要继续努力。我上周提到过，督查委员 Solis 和 Core 共同起草了一个动议，要求对由新冠病毒瘟疫带来的不平衡采取措施。各社区对此非常有非常积极的响应。各自表达了对增加新冠病毒的测试点、接触者跟踪及加强各语种或不同文化之间的基础教育的兴趣。我们正在投入精力加强与各社区的合作，以增加对各地的各种投入。我们开始从行政方面着手增加各地区的人员和时间，对增加的投入做出相应的补助。我们下来下面谈一下。卫生主管令的修订本。昨天我们颁布了卫生主管令的修订本。修订本增加了受各不同的行业重新开启的许可条例，规定只要这些行业遵守新颁布的条例，那么今天就可以重新开业。这些行业包括扑克牌室、复收赌博场所。个人护理中心，包括美甲店、美肤店、人体艺术店及非医疗中心的按摩店，还有不带食品服务的酒吧、红酒吧和酿酒的品食间。与其他已重新开启的行业一样，这些行业也应该遵守对应的规定。这些规定不是可行和不可行的，而是必须执行的。我们要各业各行各业一定要花时间，百分之百的按照规定行事，在开业之前将每一项要要求规定都落实
，并给每个员工提供一个副本。大家可以在县公共卫生局的网上查找卫生主管修订修订本的条例及附属的相对各行各业的执行规定。结束语。结束之前，我要告诉大家，加州州长 Newsom 这周颁布了一个新的条例。要求加州人在公共场所佩戴面罩，而洛省洛杉矶县从五月十三号，公共卫生局就要求大家与家人之外的人接触时必须佩戴面罩。有许多的人质问为什么要戴面罩，尤其是那部分不认为自己会被感染的人。问题是我们要求你戴面罩，不是为了让你保护你自己。而是为了保护你周围的人，尤其是当你可能被已经被感染了，但是还没有病状显示，戴上口罩就可以防止你的唾沫触触及到他人。一定要注意，即使你的测试结果呈阳性，这一结果只能告诉你测试的当时测试状况，也许隔天就会显示症状，而你会感染其他的人。如果你的测试已呈阳性，是但尚未产生抗体，这就意味着你会你有可能被重新感染，而从而感染他人。所以，请求你戴上面罩，才能与其他人相聚。我要感谢每一个为减缓新冠传播的而努力的每一个人，不管你是在每天的生活中，还是在你每天的商业活动中。所有这些都是让我们能够走上回归旅程、更平坦、更成功的必要的行动。That's all for today. Thank you. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov, and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the LA Public Health podcast.